You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Quickly before we get to your calls, a little rant about my friend Mike Huckabee. Mike Huckabee and I have been on TV together. We've shaken hands. I met him at the Republican National Convention. He remembered me from Real Time with Bill Maher. He's very polite in person. He is a social conservative and he is against uh, gay marriage, but he's also against gay people adopting children. And he said this week that he supported Arkansas's new law that prohibits same-sex couples from becoming adoptive or foster parents. Here's the quote. I think this is not about trying to create statements for people who want to change the basic fundamental definitions of family, Huckabee said, and always we should act in the best interest of the children, not in the seeming interest of the adults. Because, he added, children are not puppies, which is why gay people shouldn't be allowed to adopt them. Now, where do all those children who need to be adopted come from exactly? And where do the hundreds of thousands of children currently languishing in foster care in Arkansas and other states in the United States come from? These children are not waiting for homes because gays and lesbians failed to use birth control or neglected, abused, or abandoned these children so badly that the state had to step in and place them in foster care. These puppies who need homes, these children who are waiting to be adopted – were abandoned, abused, neglected by their heterosexual parents. They were failed by their heterosexual parents. Now, Mike Huckabee's concerned about the social experiment. La, la, la. The results are in on the social experiment. The studies have been done. Children who are raised by same-sex couples are as happy, as healthy, as well-adjusted, and as likely to identify as straight when they grow up as children raised by heterosexuals. So this is just... Rank bigotry. Children are not puppies. You've shaken my hand a few times, Mike Huckabee. We've made small talk in the green room, and I just want to toss out there now, fuck you and your bigoted fucking mouth. And the next time I'm lucky enough to be in a green room with you, I will say that to your face. Now, thanks to the new law that Huckabee supports in Arkansas that bans adoptions and foster parenting by same-sex couples – there are more foster children than ever waiting to be placed, more children than ever in Arkansas who need homes, who need couples to step forward, who are willing to adopt them, heterosexual couples to step forward who are willing to adopt them because gay couples are now disqualified. And Huckabee, who's a wealthy man now, having cashed in, hosts a show on Fox, writes books, talks out his ass for a living, isn't a foster parent. If he's really concerned about the best interests of these children who are languishing in foster care, children that Mike Huckabee has made it more difficult to find homes for, Huckabee and his asshole wife should step forward and serve as foster parents or adoptive parents. They should take some of these puppies in. Or, you know, considering the way puppies are treated by other members of the Huckabee clan, maybe not. David Waldman, writing at Daily Cost, had a really good catch. One of Mike Huckabee's sons got in trouble with the law when he was 17 years old because he and another camp counselor at some Christian bigot fuckwit camp tortured a dog to death, hanged the dog by its throat, slit its throat, and stoned it. Family values. What do they say about people who torture animals? That these are the people who grow up to torture adults and children to death? 
likelier to be pedophiles? Maybe Mike Huckabee should be less concerned about my child and more concerned about his child, who is clearly a batshit crazy, sadistic, awful mess. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 60,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals to choose from. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage right after you listen to the podcast. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hey, Dan. Uh, I have a quick question for you. It's I uh, recently was invited into a relationship that two of my friends have had uh, because they felt that they needed a third party to uh, kind of make things mess a little bit better. Um, and I mean, everything's good. I mean, both of them, they're great guys. And it's, uh, the one question that I have is one of them has basically uh, requested that I kind of put them into kind of a DS relationship. And I mean, I'm fine with that. But part of that is he's really, really, really into uh, water sports. And it's, you know, I'm been mostly vanilla for, for most of my sex life, and I've never really considered doing that sort of thing. So um, it's my question is, like, I've done a lot of, you know, looking up on it online and everything, and I'm just a little bit, you know, concerned, uh, you know, with with maybe how people would perhaps go about, and I guess the point of the matter is I'm a little bit pee-shy. And so it's, uh, I've kind of discussed this with him and it's, uh, I'm kind of seeing, you know, is that something that's, you know, normal, especially for people like me who have never really participated in this sort of thing? Um, would there be any suggestions that you would have? Because it's, uh, like part of, you know, what I was brought in to do was, uh, to really kind of make the, both of them kind of happier. And if this is what, you know, would make them happy, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm, pretty much good to go with pretty much anything. So uh, I don't know any suggestions or advice you would have on this would, would be pretty much well uh, appreciated. Well, aren't you the conscientious third? So considerate, so giving, so into your role and your function in this uh, already established long-term relationship. Uh, so what was your question again? Exactly. It was really kind of just how do you pee on somebody when you're pee shy? I think that's kind of what it all boiled down to. You could have spat that out a lot quicker. Um, here's what you do. Uh, you close your eyes and pretend that that person isn't there. And you pretend that you're standing in front of a urinal. You pretend you're standing, uh, in front of a toilet instead of standing in the shower or in, in the tub. You could... Drill a hole in the wall and put a funnel on one side of the wall and a tube through it and he can be in the other room and you can pee in privacy and your urine can run through the tube and all over him. But you can make this work unless you're fatally and, you know, pee shy to a paralyzed point where you just can't honor this request. And some people are just that pee shy. And if you are just that pee shy, you will have to find other ways to help this dude out and exploring a dom-sub dynamic with the new and very conscientious third. Hi, Dan. Uh, I am a 26-year-old queer woman, uh, and I currently have a really great uh, guy that I'm sleeping with. 
And uh, lately we've been talking about um, maybe trying to find people who would want to watch us have sex. Um, We both think that that is really hot. I guess we both have a little bit of an exhibitionist streak. Um, And we've also been talking about maybe trying to find people who want to pay us um, to engage in this activity with us. Um, So I guess my question is, uh, how do we go about finding people who want to pay us to watch us have sex? And then also, like, how do we avoid getting arrested for that? Um, I've been trying to find information about uh, laws about prostitution, and um, this seems to be sort of a vague area. A lot of ICE laws are left intentionally vague, so the police have a lot of latitude when it comes to rounding up the sex workers or the sex havers. What do you do to find people who will pay to watch? You have to hang out a shingle, which means you have to take some slight risk of drawing the attention of the authorities. If your lives will be destroyed, if anyone finds out that you guys were putting on private shows for money, don't do this because that's a, a real risk. Now, you need to consult the law where you live and you can actually, you know, call the police, call the prosecutor's office and just freaking ask. Uh, a lot of prostitution laws require touching for money. Some don't. Some require just some sort of sexual la-di-da for money. Uh, so long as you don't get into a situation where somebody is saying, oh, I paid to watch, but now I'd like to touch or participate or be masturbated by you guys while this happens. If anybody tries to upgrade to actual physical contact as opposed to just voyeurism, you should you know, run from the room and be very clear that that wasn't uh, what you were selling and you have no intention of uh, allowing them to trade up. And you should be all right. Uh, you know, look at Craigslist in any city. Look at the internet anywhere. There's, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of escorts and clients all searching for each other online. And only, uh, you know, a comparative handful get into trouble with the law. But again, it's a risk. It's a risk you'll have to take. You can make money doing this. I've known people who've made money doing this. Uh, it can be done. But there uh, is some slight risk. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free extra gift plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hey Dan, um, I had a question for you. Uh, you know, I have a, I have a pretty, uh, pretty strange fetish that is, um, I don't know, that is, it's considered illegal. You know, sadly, I'm, I guess, I, I guess you could call me a pedophile. Um, like I said, I'm 18 years old. Uh, you know, just turned 18, but um, I'm really into, uh, you know, I'm really, in, I'm really into pedophilia. You know, girls, uh, you know, like nine years old and up. I, I don't know what to do. You know, I've never acted on this. Uh, I, don't, I don't, I don't see why I would. You know, like, you know, what should, what should I do? Um, yeah, I, re- I really don't, I really don't, you know, I really am at a standstill on what I should do. And I read your, uh, read your uh, email about the, uh, about that fetish and, you know, you know, you regret to inform that you can't do anything, but, um, I don't know. I just want to know your take on it. Cause I'm you know, really at a standstill. 
Joining me now uh, by phone is Dr. James Cantor, the Assistant Professor of Psychology at the University of Toronto and the Editor-in-Chief of the research journal Sexual Abuse. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Cantor. My pleasure. So what's the best advice for someone who is a, an admitted self-aware uh, pedophile at 18 attracted to nine-year-olds? Yeah, no, these people are probably in the hardest situation in the world. And it's getting harder instead of easier uh, as time goes on. Uh, a generation ago, these people were able to come into a hospital or, you know, call up a, a shrink and talk about, you know, these kinds of problems. Uh, but now there are a lot of uh, uh, micromanagement kind of laws that require professionals to report these people to the police when they do come in to, uh, for help. Which, so is although, a, which is a huge disincentive to seek help. Absolutely. Essentially, it's ceased. Nobody comes in for help anymore. They're now kind of left on their own. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, although I can understand, you know, a public that wants, oh, no, we have to know about this so we can deal with this person, really what they've ended up doing is uh, removing the help that used to be available to the people who were trying the hardest not to act on, uh, on their sexual interests. So, you know, people like, uh, like the caller are really left with no alternative anymore. It, it's, it's a very, very unfortunate situation that, uh, that they've been put in. Now, you recently made an appearance in Savage Love, the column, where we, you and I discussed uh, the letter writer at the column who said, you know, theoretically, what if I was a pedophile and I'd never acted on it? And I called him a gold star pedophile and asked yep. people to, you know, we have to be aware that there are people out there who are burdened with this sexual interest in children who fight it all their lives and never act on it, and they deserve some sort of credit, acknowledgement, props, because they can't ever act on it. Yeah, they're, they're doing a thing that really very few of us would be able to see ourselves doing. These people are, through no fault of their own, in a position where they really have to be celibate their entire lives. And there are very few, you know, regular everyday people who can imagine even, uh, uh, even being capable of that uh, themselves. But we understandably demand it of people who are sexually interested in something that, that they can't fulfill. What does he do besides, you know, exist in social isolation all his life and hopefully never act on the, this interest in children? What's the best advice that you would give this person if this kind of person could seek your help, which... Nowadays, they can't because of the reporting laws. The, the people who do come in, and if they have no kids and no kids in their lives, there's not much to report. So people in those situations uh, usually can get, to, uh, get into therapy without, uh, without much to worry about. Uh, for some people, talking it out, being able to learn ways of keeping themselves out of harm's way is, uh, uh, is often very useful. And I get a lot of patients who have said that being on sex drive reducing medications takes the edge off. Uh, and, of course, an 18-year-old can be very helped by taking the edge off. Now, a sex drive uh, reducing medication goes by another moniker, and what is that? Uh, well, there were two major classes of uh, sex drive reducing uh, meds. One of them are, uh, is what we usually call chemical castration. Uh, those are the hardcore uh, drugs that really block uh, the action of testosterone or block the body's production of testosterone. Uh, and, of course, with lower testosterone comes a lower sex drive, which a lot of people say is very helpful. Uh, the other class of medications that a lot of people uh, uh, report to me that they find useful are uh, uh, the Prozac family, the SSRIs. Uh, so Prozac Paxil is especially effective. 
so those often kind of usually take... when I usually when I hear about those drugs is people complaining about they need them to treat their depression and it destroys their libido. But here we're exactly saying, yep. take it for the libido destroying aspect or side yep. when effect you of the drug. Exactly. So when when you're aiming for depression, the decrease in sex drive is a side effect. When you're aiming for the the decrease in sex drive, eh, you know, any other effects are, are, are relatively minor. The worst that would happen is eh, it's also an antidepressant. Now, backing way up, when people who have a sexual interest in children, when pedophiles are discussed, we talk about them in this, you know, this language that casts them as moral monsters, uh, which implies that there's some choice. They're choosing to have a sexual interest in children. What does the science tell us? Where does this... Where do these folks come from? What endows them with this sexual interest in children? Is it a choice? Uh, we're not clear on exactly where it comes from yet, although we have some very, very good clues, uh, including research from my own laboratory and, uh, and other researchers, uh, which over and over again keeps pointing to there's something in brain development that makes people attracted to children versus adults. So although these people don't seem to be making any uh, uh, choice for what they're attracted to, any more than anybody chooses what, what you know, gets them going, uh, but they're still completely responsible for their behavior. Uh, even in the brain research, there's nothing that shows that the areas of the brain involved in uh, uh, moral decision-making is, uh, is effective or uh, is affected, or the areas of the brain that are uh, involved in self-control. None of those seem to be affected. Uh, so it seems to be that they've kind of, you know, just... Uh, 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 possess for biological reasons the sexual addiction to children, but their behavior, as best as we can tell, is still under their control. So they're responsible for what they do, but not for what they're into. What a torment. What a torture. Uh, it's very, very difficult for, uh, for them. Uh, and one, it's, one can also imagine other kind of fetishes or other kind of uh, paraphilias is the medical word for things that people are sexually interested in, and there's uh, also no way to enact it. There are people sexually interested in uh, being animals, kind of like zoophilia in reverse. Well, there's no equivalent, there, there's nothing we can do to help enact that. So right, these but people those, are, those are the sort of, uh, I call them unrealizable fantasies and fetishes that are oh, almost phrase, yes. kind of comic. You know, you, you, you sort of smile on the centaur fetish and think, you come, the, come the sex bots, you're going to be set up. But until then, 100 years from now, you're not going to meet a fully sexually operative centaur partner. Yep. Now, what well, although comes? once in a while, I'll <laughs> see somebody who does something really unusual with their bodies to try to enact it. Uh, I once heard of a case of a guy who had his uh, uh, teeth filed down uh, to look more like cat's teeth. He had whisker implants. He, he was doing his best. I, I, saw, yeah, I saw pictures of him online, too. So what are the ethics? So, you know, we tell the centaur fetishists, we tell the people who, you know, won't want to be animals, furries, that these are things that they can safely explore through fantasy. Is that something we can tell people who are pedophiles? Is it ever safe to indulge that fantasy uh, as a fantasy only? That's an excellent question. Nobody really knows, and there's no good way to do the research on it. I mean, you know, ultimately, if we do any kind of research, we're responsible for what happens because of the research. So we can't, you know, and give... You don't want to risk cracking... We can't take two groups, give half, give half of the people a blessing, go ahead, and you know, only to find out that, oh, yes, it does increase, you know, the amount of sexual abuse. So, so there's no good way to really answer that question with solid science. So a lot of it is we give it our best guess. In some ways, I hate this conversation because I'm a parent, and I find myself, uh, you know, on the one hand, going, 
I feel sorry for these guys. And the other hand going, oh, my God, if anyone ever laid a finger on my kid, I'd tear them apart. But it's really and easy to switch. I not even laid a finger on my kid. If anyone even looked at my kid that way, I'd tear them apart. Uh, yeah, the parental instinct is a really, really strong one. But, again, we're talking about two different kinds of people. Uh, we're talking people who have a sexual attraction, and there are people who molest children. They overlap these two groups, but they're two different groups. I mean, the person who's able to control himself probably is going to be fine. But we know very, very little about these people because we can't get them into a clinic and there's no meaningful way to survey them. And most of the people that you are able to study are people who got in trouble with the law, people who did act. Exactly. So most of the information we have, and of course most of the information that the public has on the web or in the news, are from people who actually act on it. So we know very little about the coping mechanisms and strategies that are effective for people who've never acted on it, because these people can't seek help. They have a lot of decent reasons to avoid it. So do you think the... Uh, Now, or at least, I I don't want to uh, be telling everybody that, no, don't go to counseling, but they should be very careful when they are picking a counselor that their first questions should be, what are the mandatory reporting laws in the area? So do you think... And they do change from state to state. Do you think the mandatory reporting laws, do you think a little bit of the cultural hysteria, do you think my reaction as a parent actually makes the problem of, of child molestation and rape worse? because people can't seek help? Uh, I would go as far as saying that, it, that it's really, really hard to come up with good policy when somebody's, you know, overridden by an emotional rather than a rational way of thinking. So, yeah, I, I can't make a blanket statement about every given law, but a lot of these laws are passed, you know, in the wake of some heinous case that hits the news, and that's rarely a good way to make public policy. Okay, quickly, just circling back to, to, to the guy who called in looking for help, our advice for him, your advice for him is to try to find somebody who can prescribe? Since he's 18, uh, chances are he's not going to have any kids of his uh, his own, which is really what triggers a lot of the mandatory reporting laws. So uh, under the assumption that there's nobody in his life that the system will be trying to protect from him, then he most certainly should try to find a counselor, and his first question should be, what do you have to report and what not? before he ends up getting himself in trouble, Mm -hmm. and then let either that counselor direct him to either a a GP, a psychiatrist, somebody with a a, a physician with experience in the area who could, you know, help him try out different sex drive uh, reducing meds. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Cantor. My pleasure, and thank you for getting the issue out. There are very, very few people with the, uh, I'll say, chutzpah, really, to take, uh, take this particular bull by the horns. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 60,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is Stephen Saylor's The Triumph of Caesar, a novel of ancient Rome. My boyfriend is totally into Stephen Saylor's historical fiction, all of it set in ancient Rome, and it's pretty terrific stuff. He's been making me listen to it in the car. You should listen to it too. Triumph of Caesar and other books by Stephen Saylor are available at audible.com. And again, for a free audiobook of your choice, you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage today. Hi, Dan. I've got a, uh, you know, dump the motherfucker already situation here. And I was just wondering if I should keep dating him until I move and get out of the town I'm in, or if I really should just dump the motherfucker already. He's, uh, had lied to me about going back to school and had 
lied to me, and basically lied to me, saying that he would wanted to move and would leave town and, you know, move out of his parents' house. And now he doesn't want to do that. He wants to stay in town, and it's suddenly my fault that I want to move, even though we've talked about this forever. forever. Anyway, I don't want to waste any more time with him. However, I do like sex, and I would like, you know, someone to, you know, hang out with every now and then. So what do you think? Should I just dump the motherfucker already, or should I wait out and just let it gradually fade to nothing? Moving, leaving this shit town that you're in, was a condition of getting into your pants, and this guy either lied or he changed his mind, and now it's your turn to lie. You can keep fucking him, which is essentially a lie because you're kind of telling him every time you fuck him that you're still considering him as a long-term prospect, which was one of the premises of the relationship to begin with. And so that's kind of a lie. But who knows? You may change your mind and wind up staying in this town with him forever because love is weird that way. Uh, So if the sex is good and the companionship is good and he still knows you're moving away and you know he's staying, I think you should keep fucking him and enjoy the time you have together before you get the fuck out of town. DTMFA when you're ready to go. Hi, Dan Savage and the Tech Savvy App Rescue. Let me just tell you a little bit about who I am. I'm 19 years old, female from Texas. And I'm straight. Um, background on me is, which leads up to the question, is I don't have sex. Um, I do have oral sex, so I guess, Dan, by your standards, I am not a virgin. But um, I consider myself a virgin because I've never had vaginal penetration, no vaginal intercourse whatsoever. I want to, but I don't because of my Christian upbringing. Um, I'm a very sexual person. I'm sex positive, kink positive, gay positive, all openly. Um, we Christians do exist in case you were wondering. Uh, um, but I don't have sex because I'm waiting for my husband. I want, um, I want to give him something that I've never given anyone else. I also don't have sex for, you know, reasons like I don't want to get pregnant or um, I'm one of five kids, so I know, like, my mom was really fertile and I don't know if I am. Um, so that's always a risk. I don't think, you know, that I have a right having sex with people who I'm not ready to have a baby with. That's a huge commitment. Or STDs. Um, that's another issue. So my questions, first of all, do you think I'm unreasonable for not having sex? Um, bear in mind that your answers to these questions may determine whether I wait till marriage or not. <laughs> I really respect your opinion. Uh, secondly, um, is it possible to find out whether you're sexually compatible with someone without having vaginal intercourse? I do everything else. Um, oral sex, you know, using hands and mouths and everything like that. So, um, yeah, please let me know. Thanks, Dan. My goodness, I didn't think you'd call me back. I had to call you back. You had to call me back. I had to call you, you of all people, because I, I, I hold your hymen in my hand. <laughs> you, you, you've made it up to me whether you uh, engage in vaginal intercourse before marriage. I, actually, I don't know where to start. Do you think it's, you ask if it's possible to discover if you're sexually compatible with someone without yeah. vaginal intercourse, and I just want to, like, put in a word for... The gays, my boyfriend and I, are completely sexually compatible in the absence of vaginal intercourse. But that's the low-hanging fruit joke, and I apologize. Um, <laughs> you are, of course, having sex. Oral sex. Right, right. Mutual masturbation. Mr. Oral sex, right. You are sexually active. Uh, right. You know, and you admit that, and by my estimation, you are not a virgin. I think you're... You almost get to to a rhetoric that I could respect and I could endorse, that you want to hold something in reserve for your wedding night. You want to be able to give the man you ultimately marry one thing you haven't given anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. 
you know, for some of us, that's a golden shower. For you, it's the hymen. And that's that's a legit argument. And, you know, avoiding pregnancy. Mom's really fertile, and I don't want to even risk an unplanned pregnancy uh, or or a pregnancy with someone that I'm not planning to spend my life with. Yeah, it's like I feel like like my, I guess, excuses are are valid, you know. It's a totally valid reason. But, you know, I'm a Christian, so I only give blowjobs and get fucked in the ass. No, yeah. valid. I know, yeah. You know, if you're a Christian, you... You know, a Christian, the sex, if you embrace the sort of sex negativity brand of Christianity, you wouldn't be doing any of these other things that you're already doing. You wouldn't right, be assisting yeah. men in spilling their seed down your throat. Right, yeah. Right? That's a sin. That's sodomy. <laughs> okay? Any sexual act outside of marriage that isn't open to procreation is a sin by the same you know, bright lights who tell you that vaginal intercourse before marriage is also a sin. Right. I guess I tend to side with you a lot more than the religious right. (laughs) But your reasons, you know, avoid pregnancy and I want to hold something back, those are legit. That's even kind of charming. Avoid STDs. You maybe, but to the the guys I'm trying to date, maybe not. (laughs) Before we move on to them, avoid STDs, kind of stupid, because you can get get oral gonorrhea, you can get oral syphilis, you can get chlamydia in your throat. Get all those things in your butt. Okay, it's not, uh, you know, just not putting it in your vagina doesn't create a force field around you. You're not immune to sexually transmitted infections, herpes, everything else. All right? You're immune to pregnancy. You're immune to perhaps uh, vag versions of those other STIs I ticked off. Now, does it annoy some guys? Well, then those aren't the right guys for you if you want to hold this one thing back. Yeah. And you can establish sexual compatibility. I think if everything is... You think you can? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If everything's firing on all cylinders, if the oral is great and the mutual masturbation is great and the ass banging is great and the orgasms are rocking... Yeah, absolutely. I I think that you can pretty much be assured that vaginal, once you get going, is going to be fine. So, like, if a guy says that he wanted to have sex with me to find out if we were compatible, you know, in the long run, then that's kind of, like, what would you think about that? It's kind of... I think that's legit. That's the least thing to say, or no? Just I have endorsed your position. It is right. legit. I want okay. to hold something back. I want to avoid pregnancy at all costs. Your right. position is legit. So's his. If he okay. feels that he needs to engage in vaginal intercourse before he marries that vagina and commits to it, and right. this is the only vagina I'm ever going to put my dick in forever. That position is legit, too, and then you, there you no, have an irreconcilable difference, and you may need to part ways, or one of you needs to give in if you okay. can't face breaking up. Okay. And it is slightly manipulative on her part, or his part, but it's slightly manipulative on your part, and that's, you but, know, you know but everybody's got the right to their, power grid yeah. games and people trying to leverage shit out of each other, so... Yeah, and I strongly believe everybody has a right to their own sexual expression, and, you know, if that's the way that, that he wants to express himself, then... Right, and people have a right to make demands. You don't have an yeah. obligation to fulfill them, but your partner okay. has a right to make the demand, the request, the ask. Okay. And the right to say if this need isn't met, if, you know, you can't meet this request or honor the request... That's the deal breaker. I can leave this relationship. That is not, you know, that's sort of emotional blackmail, I suppose, but... You know, the relationship's future is the only leverage you ultimately have when you decide something is a deal breaker like that. Okay. But, you know, I think you're stupid. You think I'm stupid? Well, a little bit. You know, I think it's 
I think you're playing semantic games with your body. How so? You're sexually active. How many right. jobs have you given? <laughs> Countless. <laughs> you're a slut! <laughs> Who hasn't yeah. been fucked in her twat yet? But you're still a slut! But that's right, and I say that in the most sex-positive sense of the word. I married a slut. I'm a slut. Welcome to the club. Thanks. You know, you're a slut <laughs> like me. Neither of us has been vaginally penetrated. But we're still sluts. Yeah, we got a lot in common, Dan. We do. We have, we have much in common, you and I. Currently not legally married and never vaginally penetrated. But still sluts. But still sluts. Who've had a lot of sex. So, so you think that even though I'm not unreasonable for asking these things, that you think I'm still silly for, for holding back? I think the distinction you're making is a little bizarre. It's a fig okay. leaf. You're sexually active. You should embrace that. Whatever it is, I, I think you're holding a little bit back so you can feel right with God or right with you know your Christian upbringing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. All you're doing is keeping a toe on the base. Okay. But you're in the game, and you, yeah. you know, you're not fooling God if he exists. And if that's right. sex-negative... God who doesn't want any penises in your vagina until they've married you exists. He doesn't want penises in your mouth either. Or your ass, or your left hand, or right hand, or you know, between your ass cheeks, or however else you're getting them off. You know? Yeah, you're right. He disapproves of that God who doesn't want dick in your twat, disapproves of the dick anywhere near you until you're married. And even then, no more, no mouth. Every so it's kind of sacred... <laughs> so it's kind of all or nothing, and I don't know if I could do the nothing thing. Right, and I think you should do the all. Okay, you thank someone you feel strongly about, if you love him, you can... And be realistic. How old are you, roughly? I'm 20. Be realistic. People at 20 are not with any more smart, educated, articulate, intelligent people right. who are going places at 20 are not with the people that they ultimately marry at 30 and spend their lives with. Because all relationships fail until one doesn't. All relationships fail until one doesn't. More, the, the, the more, you know, when you put off marriage into your late 20s, early 30s, those marriages are likelier to be the ones that survive. Right. Last. But I don't know if I could wait that long to have sex. <laughs> well, then go get... Go have sex. And just because, you know, if you do vaginal with this guy and it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean you made a mistake. It doesn't, God doesn't hate you. Or if he does, he already does, because you've been swallowing loads. <laughs> right, right. Good point. That is a good point. What are you afraid of, really? It can't be this, you know, false idea that God is, you know, has a sex abacus up there and is keeping track of exactly how many blowjobs you've given and exactly how few vaginal penetrations you've undergone. Like, what is it that you're worried about? The pregnancy is a legit concern. STIs are a legit concern. You know, other than those things, like, I really don't, I really couldn't tell you. I don't know. It might be worry about, like, what, what my family would think or, you know, but what do, they don't know. Do you not have to send your family a telegram the first time you have vaginal intercourse? Do they know about the blowjobs? No, they don't. Well, they don't need to know about vaginal penetration either. Hey, Mom, guess what? Yeah, that's not a great idea in my family. Hey, yeah. guess what? None of your fucking business. Thanks for the hang-ups. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. But I don't want you to rush in on my say-so. 
I want to yeah. support your decision to wait right now because I, I, I sense from the tone of your voice that there's some hesitation that goes beyond oh, I mean, the religion, beyond the STDs, beyond the pregnancy, beyond the desire to hold something back. There's some hesitation, like maybe this isn't the right guy. Maybe, maybe right. you'll feel differently about the next guy. I mean, as far as this guy in particular, I know you like updates. He's he's just in a really weird place, and so I don't know if it's going to work out with him, so it's probably best I didn't sleep with him when I had the chance. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, I really want to end up finding that person if, you know, if I do not have sex before I get married. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, if I don't wait, then I just want to make sure that it's that it would be yeah, with you someone. You've got to drop that kind of rhetoric. You already haven't waited. Okay. You were on the sex train. It left the station. Okay. You're not on the platform waiting. You're gone. You're actually active. Okay. So if thing, I do end one up, one thing you haven't done, and you're right. you're hang up about it, you're you think you have a couple legit reasons, but you want to hold it in reserve. But you know what? Very very few sexually active adult women marry the person they lost their vaginal intercourse virginity. Yeah, to. that's really true. That doesn't mean that they, every one of those women regrets. The, the, the vaginal penetrative sex they had with the person they lost their vaginal virginity to. A lot of people look back with great fondness on the person that they decided to, you know, award their virginity to, even if that person isn't who they ended up with for the rest of their lives. So you don't have to cast it as a gamble. Like, if I let this guy fuck my pussy, and then I don't marry him, oh, I'm going to feel cheated forever, oh, I, I threw it away on him. If it was a good, decent experience, and you enjoyed it, and he enjoyed it, and if the relationship ended, you both still look back on it with some fondness, and, and right. perhaps a friendship grew out of it, if not a relationship, then it was worth. Then he was worth it, even if he wasn't ultimately the person you married. Thanks, Dan. You've been a big help. Well, you're welcome. It sounds like you're a pretty level-headed person. It sounds like you're smarter than the faith tradition in which you were raised, and you're just making the last break from it. Yeah. Yeah. And don't worry about what your family thinks because they don't have to know. What they don't know won't hurt them. What they don't know won't hurt them, and you can wear white on your wedding day and black-ass panties. That's right. <laughs> All right? All righty. Thanks so much. Sure thing. Bye. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a 26-year-old queer woman who has been fucked over lots of times by people I've dated, smacked around, treated badly, and taken advantage of. But I recently met a person who makes me extremely happy. She compliments me and tells me how much she cares about me often. We have the same sense of humor and can talk for hours. We even speak openly about issues with us and compromise so we don't bottle things up and let it cause resentment down the road. She respects me more than anyone I've ever met and makes me feel like I deserve it. And it is the best sex I've had in my whole life. And I've had some fucking great sex, but this shit is amazing. The problem lies in this. We were both sexually abused in our childhoods. I deal with this by going to therapy. She deals with this by having a reenacting type BDSM relationship with one of her friends. She wants to be totally monogamous with me, as I do too, with this one exception that she keeps this occasional reenaction. I've asked her if it has to include sex, and she says it does. She says she cannot give this up and explains that, especially because of my background, she doesn't want to act out this kink uh, on me. Um, and she doesn't want to do it every week or anything, but maybe once in two or three months. They have an on and off history of this that has spanned about 10 years, and she feels like it's impossible to let go of. I've told her that this eventually can't be the only way she deals with what happened to her, but right now she feels that she needs it. 
I'm worried about how this kind of behavior is affecting her, and also, I want her all to myself. I love her so much, and she says she feels the same. Should I stay with this wonderful person and just learn to think of it as her, quote, therapy, and focus on my great luck at finding her? Thanks. There are two issues here. We're going to take them separately. First, there's the issue of compromise. What are you willing to compromise on to have her in your life? You, she, there's this respect, best sex ever, love and support. She brings so much good to your life. But you want a monogamous relationship and you want her to not see this other person that she reenacts with. And she refuses. She doesn't want to let go of that. She says she can't. So one of you has to give in and she's already said it's not going to be her. So is it going to be you? If it's not going to be you, then you guys need to break up. Now, about the reenacting and the, the, the SM relationship she has with this other person, the vague SM relationship she has with this person, it may be how she processes and deals with her abuse. Uh, that's not an uncommon response. It could also be completely unrelated and this is just how she's come to understand what her interest in SM must mean. The example I always give is, you know, you'll talk to somebody who's into getting spanked and they'll say, oh, I was spanked as a child, so I eroticized it and here I am an adult and I like to get spanked. And then you talk to somebody who likes to get spanked and they'll say, well, I wasn't spanked as a child, so it always seemed very alluring. So because I wasn't spanked as a child, I'm interested in being spanked as an adult. We tell ourselves stories to justify our inner erotic lives, our erotic imaginations. We look for clues. We want to find causations where there may not be causations. Perhaps the abuse – led to her interest in this power game with this one person or perhaps not. Uh, that's a, something you might want to unpack with her. Maybe you'd be more comfortable with this whole situation if you didn't view her need for this power exchange sexual dynamic in this with this other person as an extension of or a continuation of or a side effect of her abuse. You wouldn't feel then – your own abuse history and issues being tweaked by her uh, seeing this other person. And now setting that aside and returning to the original point, this may be an irreconcilable difference. If you're not willing to compromise and she's not willing to compromise, in no relationship does everybody get everything that they want. Everybody, uh, both people have to be willing to compromise and sometimes compromise on large things on big issues, on stuff that they thought going into the relationship or they thought when they began their adult sexual life were non-negotiables. There is no long-term relationship without a bunch of negotiated, renegotiated non-negotiables left by the side of the road. Hi, Dan. I'm calling with a comment about podcast 180 about the man who was wondering if he raped his wife. The first time that he initiated sex while she was half asleep and then she retroactively withdrew her consent. That was not right. He was acting in what, you know, what you call a save implied consent and he did nothing wrong. The second time and the third time and the fourth time and all the following times, that was rape and not rape in the sense that he forced her, but rape in the sense that it was non-consensual sex. And so I feel for the guy I don't think he's a horrible person, but his wife did not consent to that. And everyone, including him, should learn from this that no means no, no matter how stupid the no is, no matter if you think she means it or not. 
doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when the no comes, the day after, the day before, no is no. Uh, Dan, you said you'd get a lot of phone calls about this, about the guy and his wife, um, ex-wife, who felt that, that uh, she was raped. And, you know, you said that your answer was all over the map, and I just thought that your answer was a great answer. Dan, I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I felt like you represented both of them really well. And my only comment, my only request would be that they went to therapy. That would be something that a therapist could have helped them with, hopefully. Hi, Dan. This is a very angry person calling to yell at you and the asshole who called you asking whether it was all right that he non-consensually initiated sex with his wife while she was sleeping. You said you were hesitant to call it rape, so I'll do it. That is rape. This man is a rapist. He knowingly took advantage of her state where she was half asleep and vulnerable and not thinking clearly, and he says that he would do this even when she said, I'm not okay with this, don't do it tonight, don't do it ever. She consented for it. She never consented for him to do this. She explicitly told him not to do it, but he violated her wishes and initiated this sexual act that she clearly wanted no part of, and that's obviously rape. And he's lucky she's not taking him to court because I think she'd have a really solid case. And Dan, you bought into two horrible cultural myths that get thrown at rape survivors. One, that they consent to the sex and just say afterwards that they didn't. And two, that if someone physically responds or experiences physical pleasure or orgasm, that that makes it not rape. And how dare you say that maybe she set it up this way and wanted this sex to happen and was just like pretending to feel violated so she could blame someone. I think that's really bullshit. I think you trotted out the victim blaming on this one in order to console this horrible person who raped his wife during their marriage and deserves no consolation at all. Hi, Dan. I just got done listening to Podcast 180. This is a comment, and I'm sure you're going to get a shitload of them for the guy who was conflicted about whether or not he had raped his previous spouse. That's what she labeled it. I want to say that I think you could have been a little harder on him, but I'm glad that you laid the onus of this on him. It sounds like she was really conflicted, but the fact that he kept doing something that he knew she was so deeply conflicted about is really, really troubling. I was in a relationship in the past where I would say no, but I I felt pressured to do stuff that I didn't want to do, and part of that was on me, but part of it was on him, too, because he knew. And it sounds like this guy knew, too. He knew that she didn't want to or didn't want to do it that way. But he was so desperate to get laid that he did something that he knew that she would regret. And that's a really shitty thing for somebody who supposedly loves you to do. So, yeah, it might not be rape, but this guy's kind of an asshole, at least in that regard. And I hope maybe, you know, in the future he can consider... If she doesn't want to do it and she's told you in the past that she doesn't want to do it, then just don't do it. I want to thank everybody who called in with comments and feedback about that particular call. It was really troubling. I think uh, the the evidence that I was really troubled by was the fact that I was all over the map. And I don't think I let the guy off the hook. I think I did call him an asshole. We'll have to go back to the tape and check. But clearly people had lots of different reactions. We're not putting a thumb on the scale here with two kind of agreeing with me and two disagreeing with me. Uh, that's roughly how the calls came in, about half and half. And we're going to leave it there. 
201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a call or comment for a future show, please give us a buzz. Once again, 206-201-2720. You download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day, including the Savage Love Letter of the Day at slog.thestranger.com. And I want to send a uh, congratulations out to Missoula, Montana, which yesterday uh, passed a gay rights ordinance by a pretty wide majority, 10 to 2, the city council there, after a long, drawn-out hate-fest debate. Uh, So uh, good on you, Missoula City Council, and uh, good on you, LGBT community in Montana, uh, for pressing for your rights and uh, securing them there. All right, me and the Tech Savvy At-Risk Youth will be back at you next week. Another installment of the podcast. Thanks for downloading.